It's Dr. Stu's podcast, show number 80, available on iTunes. DrStu'sPodcast.com. It's available all over worldwide. <laughs> it is. Yeah, share it on Facebook, tweet it out. It's a wonderful program. Who'd have thunk it and got to 80, 80, 80 podcasts? And how do people reach me? Uh, if they want to email you, thank you for the subtle question. Ask Stu at gmail.com. He answers, reads, and ans- reads every email, answers probably 82% of them. Ask Dr. Stew at gmail.com. The guy is busy, busy, busy at that beautiful place he lives. Answering your emails. And by the way, sometimes we will always protect your identity, but we might read a portion of your email to get a conversation started here on Dr. Stew's podcast. How uh, is it going for you, my friend? Uh, now, last time you were anticipating, you were just waiting on twins, waiting on twins, waiting on twins. Right. But before I, before I tell that, because it's very exciting, uh, whenever we do twins, it's exciting. But I have to tell you, Brian, something exciting happened to me today. And it's funny how littlest, tiniest little mundane things can make your day. I was, uh, I just got done with my body core working, body work person. And sure. she works me to death. And then coming here, I got to grab something to eat. So, you know, I go through my, you know, she, she scolds me about going through the drive throughs And I say, okay, I'm going to have the chicken. So I go to get, I go to McDonald's on the way over here because it's only 45 minutes right. away. But at the point you're placing the and order, she's, she's no longer no, next this, to you in the this car. This is the little thing that, that's so exciting to me. All right. So the whole thing that I order comes to $2.40. All right. What'd you order? A French fry? I ordered something off the dollar menu and a Coke, a Diet Coke, okay, with no ice. Hey, big spender. And no mayonnaise on the chicken sandwich. Okay. So you did have the chicken. You didn't lie. I have the chicken, yep. And so I reach into my coin, my ashtray full of coins. Yeah. And I reach in, I grab a bunch of coins. You couldn't do it? It's exactly $2.40. Synchronicity. Yeah. So it's like the tiniest little thing of like, you know, seriously, it's exactly the right. How many times would I have to reach in there and, and have that happen? By it the probably way, wouldn't happen if I no. did it again 2,500 times. And it's probably too late because as we record, it's early evening, late afternoon. You should go buy a daily lotto ticket and play 240. What's today? Oh, it is. A, no, no, no. 240 oh. is your number. 240. Yep. Well, but, is, the, but there's, they got to pick six numbers. No, no, no. There's a daily three number game. My mother, oh, there is? my mother was a chronic gambler. I mean, I can tell you, I don't, I don't. My mother was a, God bless her. She was a de- degenerate gambler. She'd play two, four, oh, she'd play that. She'd go, what are you doing? It was two, four, zero. Right? Anyway, the, so I'm saying that, you know, the world could be falling apart and everything, but if, you know, we all have some of the things happen, happen in our day where we just something small and it's like, wow, that really makes my day. And it was just sort of serendipitous it you was know fun. my mom the day she died right she dies at night the next morning we're all sitting around staten island reading the daily news sipping a cup of coffee you know trying to have breakfast trying to talk about you know got to talk about mom she's dead and there's some crying going on everything my brother comes in and he's got the new york daily news my mother played the three number lottery every day she played the numbers four two five my brother looks at me and he's laughing and i'm happy to see anybody <laughs> laughing at this point i can already tell what's coming i said what are you laughing for he goes mom's numbers they came in I said, she is pissed off. <laughs> I said, yeah, she's pissed off. Well, where she is, she doesn't need it anyway. No, she, no, she was in paradise. She didn't, she didn't need the money She's in anyway. paradise, but wow. She so was here we are. Uh, everything's fine. You're fine, my friend? Everything's fine. Just want to say very quickly before we get to our guests, I can't imagine it possible, but uh, I guess McDonald's, the CEO, is promising to make their food better. Speaking of your fast food, McDonald's, which is closing like 300 locations, say they're going to make their food better. I say, go ahead, make my day. That food is delicious. 
as it is. Better how? What are you we, gonna... we, we've done a whole podcast. We did a whole podcast on fast food one time. Yeah, unbelievable. So. All right, so, all right ha- so who do we have today? All right, so I'm going to start from the right and go to the left, and I'm going to say, welcome to Dr. Stu's 80th podcast. It's a monumental show. This is Kimmy. Hi, Kimmy, and hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. Kimmy, tell us a bit about you. All right. I'm a birth professional here in Los Angeles. I'm a doula. Uh, for birth. I'm a childbirth educator, lactation counselor, and a student of midwifery. Okay. Now, all of that, uh, that's quite a resume. Now, Are we uh, using last names today? Can we use last names? If you'd like to. Yeah. It's Kimmy McGuire. Kimmy McGuire. Kimmy McGuire. People can Google her or Facebook her. And And then we have Emily here, who is our other guest. Emily, is your resume almost identical to Kimmy's, or is it different? Welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thank you. Hi. Happy to be here. Uh, It is pretty similar. Yeah, student of midwifery. Uh, We both work for the same midwife here in Los Angeles. I've been a birth doula for nine years now. Um, Supported hundreds of families, primarily through preparing them for pregnancy and childbirth and their options. Uh, Kimmy and I really resonate with the term birth keepers. It's a bit more of a more of a powerful term than just a doula because we're more than just hand holders. So yeah. Yeah. Du- 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 doulas are supposed to their, their main function, according to Michelle O'Dont, who most of my listeners know who he is, is to basically keep the space, keep the sacred space around the birth, keep it, keep that uh, be a guardians of the space. Mm. Right. Can I explore that for a moment with with you guys? Now, uh, I got collectively nine years or about a decade, you know, that you guys have been at it. So I have two questions. First is this term birth keeper, where you're the birth keeper. Uh, what was it about the first term doula, I guess, that was less than satisfying or didn't, in your view, represent all that you do? So why uh, why birth keeper? And second, in even 10 years, we've talked on this program program about the growth of this movement of having babies outside of the hospital, whether it's in at home, uh, at bed, in bed at the home, in, in the water at home, whatever it is, you have probably seen in a decade significant progress and public, a, a shift of public opinion that is favorable in the area of birthing outside of a hospital or, um, or or have you not seen as much shift toward favorable feelings toward that choice as you'd like? Those are two questions and you can ignore them. You can ask me to leave. You can answer them, whatever you'd like to do. Yeah, why don't you step out? Uh, I'll step out. I'll, I'll be back, Stu. Bye. I'll, All right, I'll take uh, over. Yeah, right. I mean, well, def- definitely doulas, you know, 10 years ago were, was not a household name in the birth community and, and it, it I'd like to think it is now, um, along with placenta medicine and midwifery and certainly a lot of stuff has gained a lot of traction in the last 10 years. Um, and I'll let Kimmy answer the birth keeper. All right. Question. Why the word birth keeper? And what about the previous term was not satisfying? Well, the word doula actually is a Greek word that derives from a meaning of slave or woman helper. Servant. Servant. Um, oh, well, that would be me. So I guess I... Uh, <laughs> You're the doula, I'm a it turns doula. out. Podcast yeah. 80, The Amazing Revolution. Dr. Stu is the actual doula <laughs> on the next Dr. Stu's podcast. Right. But beyond beyond the um, the definition of a doula, also uh, there's certain scopes that go along with the doula. Yeah, you t- just very quickly, my dear Kimmy, you think that doula in and of itself, the term might be demeaning. 
No, no, no. Not really, but it kind of the meanings you in of a, it. It puts you in a category that just actually limits your ability mm-hmm. of how you can support the mother and the family. And the root of the word, the the etymology, where it comes from, does rub you the wrong way. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. You know, I never knew that, but I, I, that makes a lot of sense because you know you're far more than servants. I mean, that's just not what do. And I think do. it suggests, especially as we explore, um, you know, our relationship to birth and how we're supporting our parents. I think it definitely suggests a bit of uh, submissive handholding in the face of some pretty challenging uh, circumstances that we see our clients go through. Well, that's part of what that leads. That's a very good lead in for what we're here for today, because about a week and a half ago, I I was just minding my own business and my my phone started dinging, ding, 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 ding. I was getting text messages and I open it up and they're all from Emily and she's at a birth at a local hospital here in town and she's venting. She's venting because she's having to sit there and watch things happen in the hospital that are just plain wrong and are are rude and uh, it's like not getting, getting informed consent, being demeaning, not being receptive to what the patient wants. Emily, are, so, there, are, are, are there memories of that event that precipitated those texts to Dr. Stu that you'd like to share here on the podcast without naming a hospital or anybody? Are there things in particular you saw that made you angry enough well, and that, obviously compelled you enough to, to text Well, that Dr. was the whole Stu. topic. And then we started talking and we were at a birth this weekend uh, of twins and Emily was the... Um, the servant. No, the, ser- the servant. No, <laughs> the birth keeper. Boy yeah, the birth keeper. I was, yeah, the birth keeper. A boy and a girl, two boys, two girls. A boy and a girl. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, they were 14 minutes apart. One was in water, one was on land. It was just very nice uh, delivery. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we've spent this time talking. We spent some time when we had some downtime to talk a little bit about it. And so I wanted to bring him on the podcast today because there is this subject of the term that's being given around now is obstetric violence. Yeah. And there's a thing going around on the internet now because for the first time in, a, in what anybody can remember, there's actually a lawsuit. Uh, somebody's bringing a lawsuit against a physician for for uh, violating her request, she didn't want an episiotomy, and he goes ahead and does it anyway. Forgive me, and it's layman, on video. Uh, it's on YouTube. You I'm a layman. Actually... I don't know what an episiotomy is. A layperson chiming in here. What is that? Episiotomy is a a cut of the perineum. The perineum is the space between the vagina and the anus. I, I know what that is. And you take a scissors and you cut it. They used to be very standard when I was training back in the late early '80s. Uh, or even in, in when I was a medical student uh, at the University of Minnesota, we cut episiotomies on every single woman that came in. For convenience, to provide greater room. That's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, well, it, it really is. It really well, then was felt to be the right thing to do because they felt that a incision was better than a tear. And then that was sort of just the way you were taught. And again, we've talked about this many times on the show, Brian. The long habit of doing not calling something wrong gives it the superficial appearance of being right. We finally realized that we don't need to cut episiotomies. Yeah. They're extremely rare. There are times where they are beneficial, but they have to really be done with consent. And it was a non, it's a non-evidence-based ritual, right? So they are like a lot of routines that happen in the hospital. There are necess- there's, there's, you know, times that every sort of tool or, or thing is required, but routine episiotomies, routine deep suctioning, routine anything is inappropriate. Emily, you said something a moment ago that a little, did you see the flashbulb over my head go off? Because, you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the room, but sometimes a little flashbulb will go off. You said something which warranted 
warrants a larger conversation or at least a couple of minutes before we talk more about obstetrical violence, which is sort of a spectacular headline uh, uh, for any conversation. You use the term medical ritual. You said it had become like a medical ritual. People think of medicine and doctors and hospitals, and they think that everything is science-based, that everything, you know, everything. We all cracked. We all started. Even Randy started cracking up with that. You know, tried and true, science-based. Right. To to put those two words together, medical ritual. Rituals are things that people with OCD like me and mystics and Mm -hmm. sort of like others go through. Stop turning the lights on and off, Randy. You're being crazy. Medical rituals sound. It sounds. It sounds like a punchline. Mm-hmm. Medical ritual. It sounds like what? an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oxymorons. It's what it sounds like right. to me. There are standards of practice that have become. They've just by teaching from one doctor to the next, whether they're founded in evidence-based science or not. Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, some of them we're slowly getting rid of, like shaving a woman's bottom or 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 prepping her with iodine, or giving her an enema. Those those were all rituals that were done for decades. You know, and there's still so many things that are that are done at a hospital or, in, you know, in, in our lives in general that aren't evidence based, that aren't scientific based. We just do them because they've always been done that way. And they're unexplored. And so as you explore them and as you apply the new science available or the new consciousness that's available in birth today, you know, a lot of the times you find that the reality is they're trying to provide too high of a volume. And so they have to have these rituals in place. It's routine care and they're, they're not able, hospitals are not able to provide individualized care, nor do they train their OBs to do it. Right. And And remember, we've talked, we've talked many times about how, how people in the healthcare system now are just sort of pawns. They're more sheep than shepherd. And if you wanted to break a ritual, Right, you get in trouble for that. Of course, it's like so. Any nobody other, wants like to any, rock the boat because it's, it's like too any, much trouble. It's like any other professional system. Folks who listen to Doctor Stu's podcast, okay, mostly women, but a lot of men too. We get feedback. They're sitting there listening to this as well. Think about your job too. That might not be uh, in a hospital. You might not have dealt guys. I'm talking to with birth. Uh, your wife or your lovely girlfriend might have given birth, uh, but 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 you but you certainly haven't given birth. But you work at a company. And that company has procedures and to sort of violate any of those <laughs> is sort of like oh, it draws, a, it, a, it, apocalyptic. It, it draws a picture in my mind of the movie Office Space. I don't know if you've seen yes, Office Space. Yes, of course. Wait, do you, have you done your TPS reports? Have you got your TPS reports done? It's like, <laughs> right. I mean, you just want to pull your hair out when right. you see that movie. Right. I don't know and if you guys an, have seen an interesting, that. But. Yeah, I have. An interesting example, you know, not, not to make it about this because it's a hot topic, but I can't tell you how many times I interview with a couple where I say, okay, so where do you stand on circumcision and they look at each other and they shrug and they say well isn't that just what you do so that's a great example of an unexplored non-evidence-based ritual and the answer that to that question is the answer to that question emily is no that's not the, not what we just what you do right uh, if they say isn't that what you just do your honest answer is no not necessarily we don't just circumcise uh, that would not be my response. Oh, but, it wouldn't be. But okay. I, I mean, it's 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 the idea is to bring up that there is a conversation. It's the way it's, it's a, the way it's been done. It's, it's the, the way, way their family did it. But let's learn the history and the actual evidence. And is it scientifically recommended? That's brilliant. We're talking to Emily and we're talking to Kimmy and they have last names. I've forgotten at least one of them. Kimmy McGuire. Okay. Emily Benner. Emily Benner. Kimberly McGuire. Two nice <laughs> Italian girls here on Dr. Stu's podcast <laughs> number 80. We'll talk about obstetrical violence in a moment. But uh, one last point about 
about this because it's when we talk about the medical establishment and we have for this our 80th podcast so happy to do it what we're talking about here when we're talking about where people work we're talking about i'm a political science major. I've been in college in 25 years, but I remember a few things. And I remember studying systems and the way systems operate, the study of systems. And hospitals are systems. Wow, is that a system? That is a textbook sort of system, the way that, and and to perforate that system, to alter that system, to try to affect change within the body of that system, it's real hard to do. It's almost worth not doing. What Dr. Stu does is, what he is chosen is the latter why perforate (laughs) change or alter that system i'll set up a new different system over here that operates independent of that big giant system with all of those bureaucratic problems i struggle with that every day going in there wondering if i want to keep going in there and trying to go up against that current stream what's it like for you kimmy when you know you do with women who have hospital births and you also have attended some home births with some of the midwives here i mean is it really night and day It's so night and day that it actually makes it hard to return to the hospital. I would say my hardest job as a birth keeper is not staying awake for two days or massaging somebody for 18 hours straight. It's going into a hospital and witnessing, or even sometimes at a home birth, obstetric violence. Okay, you've said it now. We've said it half a dozen times. Uh, Dr. Stu, uh, you've got to pay off the headline of this podcast, obstetric violence. What does it mean? Where does it happen? When does it happen? Just some basics on it first before we get well, into the it's details. Well, it's it is a provocative term, but that's but the whole point of the thing is to bring attention to something. And you, it, in order to sca- get a headline, it's a scary, it's a scary term. It's also it, exactly what it is. It, well, it's actually uh, yeah, it's it's violence, it's assault, it's uh, it's disrespect. I mean, there's a lot of things involved with it. Some of it's more than just the the physical activity that occurs where you're doing something without permission or whatever, which is assault or violence. It's also the way you're treated. It's the way you're talked to. It's all the way, of this ob- it's the skewed informed consent. All that stuff all plays of, into this. All of, the, all of this perpetrated upon the pregnant female. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, sometimes the, sometimes sometimes the, the baby. dad and the baby. Yeah, and it can be, I mean, it doesn't have to be in the obstetrical department either. It could be anywhere else in the hospital, but we're confining our conversation today to our, our frame of reference, which yeah. is the obstetrical world. So tell me more. I'm sorry. No, I want, well, I want to hear from, I mean, these guys, I've been out of the hospital now for four and a half years. It was hard enough for me to, to sit in a hospital and watch things happen. And the reason I left the hospital was because I was being told that I can't do things that I know were reasonable choices. So I'm sure but, that, uh, and I'll get to the yeah. guess here. I'm sure that people listening, Emily and Kimmy, I'm sure that there are people listening who hear the uh, term, the rather spectacular in, in a negative sense, but attention-getting term, obstetrical violence. And I'm sure you're about to give a few examples. And I'm sure a few of your more mild examples or medium-range examples, I'm not a denier because when somebody comes to me and says, I'm old enough to know when somebody comes to me and says, got to tell you about something, it's important, they're usually telling the truth. But there's going to be a segment of listeners to Dr. Stu's podcast who are going to hear, who have heard now six times the term obstetrical violence. Seven. They're going to hear you give an example and they're going to go, wow, that lady, that woman is just nuts. That's not violence. That's not violence. So, so, so let's start on the. And I would say go watch some hospital births. Okay, cool. And, and, you know, I'm not debating you or challenging yeah. you, but you understand that reaction will be present. Of course, it's in, fine. In and some I, quarters, but not all. And I want to give the usual disclaimer again, like, you know, we're not talking about all hospital births here. We're not talking about any of that stuff. I mean, we we obviously put this disclaimer out every time. We're never talking about all. And always or never. We're never doing all. It can happen at home. It is not oh, yeah. only 
it, in the it, hospital. It, it can happen at home too. And I'm sure that I actually, after talking with Emily in a few times, have been guilt, probably guilty of doing things that I probably should do differently. Okay, let's start with Emily and then go to Kimmy. And I'll ask both of you for one example of sort of the uh, mid-entry uh, uh, well, level obstetrical violence, something that people might just go, hmm. And might not well, here, even here, here, notice. Brian, I'll, 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 I'll cue it off with okay. a basic one. Then you do it. All right. Asking permission to touch. A basic premise. You know, you know, when you go to the doctor's office and you're sitting there half naked with your gown on or whatever, and he walks in or she walks in and takes the stethoscopes and just puts it on, puts the cold stethoscope on your back or whatever, you know, the, the polite thing to do, the right thing to do would be say, I'm going to listen to your lungs now. This might be a little cold. Is that okay? Is that okay? That and get, and that, get permission. So that's mild. Obviously, that, okay. that doesn't a, go into you, the category and you, and of obstetrical okay. violence. And your position is that doesn't happen too often. Too often that doesn't happen. Better said. Yeah. Too often that doesn't happen. Yes. Oh, I rarely see permission asked. Okay. Okay. You say that's. You say that's. Uh, re- but if you're going for like shock value examples right now, I mean, we can do that. But do I it. do think it's important to preface a lot of this, you know, and we can get actually we can just get there afterwards of why is it happening and why is it acceptable standard of care? Because that to me is the interesting meat of this conversation. But for some shock, you know, just to get people on board with what is normal and also worth mentioning that people are hiring OBs mandated through their insurance primarily, and they have never seen their OB in action before. So you're hiring someone to perform a supportive task without ever seeing them do it. So it's a gap. It's a blind spot that, that parents are put in. And it's very confusing. It's like buying a car before you've driven it. Sure. Or having even been to the dealership. You know, you can, you don't really know what you're, what you're dealing with. Until that time. But the car, the car, I mean, in some ways it's a, it's a weak analogy because the car you can take back. Okay. You you haven't (laughs) seen the doctor in action until that day that he or she is there and has arrived to deliver your baby. There's a tremendous, and you deliver your own baby. So the, the doctor is there to support you delivering your own baby, ideally. And so, you know, I, I, let me put it this way. I have seen more births in the hospital than not, where a woman at some point has screamed or asked or requested or cried out to please stop, to get your hands out of me, to not do that to my baby, to not whatever. I mean, it's a long, long, long list and it is ignored or it is laughed at or it is ridiculed. Let me stop you there. It is laughed at. Mm -hmm. A woman is in a hospital. She is giving birth. You said that often she might cry out in pain and say stop and say stop and then say that hurts uh please get your hands out of there you said that and then you said it is laughed at in your experience and this is your opinion i have to say that who laughs at that woman it is typically the obstetrician i don't see nurses do that very often no, nurses what, are great. What is the reaction? There, a, what is the reaction in the room from the other medical professionals when a doctor laughs at a woman who is pregnant and in labor and in the process of delivery when the lead, the obstetrician, laughs at her very serious, almost sometimes tear-inducing complaints? Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. It's yeah, incredibly and, and, awkward. And when we say laughing, we're we're also saying sort of 
just responding in a dismissive, yeah. condescending mm-hmm. tone. I understand, but either, laughing doesn't necessarily mean they break out laughing. Stuart, if it's ha 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 ha, or if it's <laughs> it's more like there's this. no difference. They'll between say that. something like this. All right, well, you do whatever you need to do to get okay with this C-section because this is happening. Even though it's not medically necessary, it is medically recommended all the time. Something like that. Wow, that's astonishing to me. And it would, as a man, if I had a pregnant girlfriend or a pregnant wife, that would make me, it would make me think long and hard about home birth, which we have talked about here on this Dr. Stu's podcast uh, uh, 80 times now, the 80th time. But it would make me make sure that I was in that room. Do you believe, uh, very quickly, let me ask you, Emily, and then we'll go to Kimmy. Do you believe that a male figure or a female partner do you believe that an advocate in the room for the female who is delivering her baby is a must-have? Absolutely. However, Absolutely. The, the dads are often stunned or partners are often so stunned and so confused and freaked out by whatever's getting laid into their space that I often see them not find the will or power to speak the up. The fortitude. And they're actually the only ones legally allowed to speak on the mother's behalf in the room. So even though we're there, we're not supposed to speak on their behalf. More drama here. And this is a great program and a great conversation. Have you ever seen, in your experience, uh, similar to the events that you described, have you ever seen a pregnant woman in uh, in a scenario that you eloquently and, and, might I say, artfully described and drew a lot of emotion out of us with it, have you ever seen uh, shortly after that point where she might cry out to the doctor in order like that, stop doing that, and he might laugh and say, well, this is the way we do it. Have you ever seen the female turn to her husband or boyfriend in the room and say, can you get to him? Can you please stop him? Because that brings it up even higher to another to another level. Or they don't do that, do they? And does that there's a lot of def- there's a lot of deference yes to the um Doctor. to the practitioner in the room um even the nurses will sometimes you know the- I've known nurses who purposely have called doctors late to, so they oh, miss yeah. the delivery because they don't they think that the doctor's not oh, very yeah. good at delivering the baby. I say things like, do you consent to this? And i very quick to use that word if needed because when a doctor hears consent and she can shake her head no, then it's on or it's off rather. And that's a great, that's a great yeah. move and an advocate can... Go ahead, And I can me. repeat out loud, I just heard the patient say, I do not consent to this. I just heard the patient say no. And you'll do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, guys, you're, you're describing a scenario. I have to say, I've never I've never seen a baby delivered and it's something I need to see as a human being it's something I desire to see uh, you can come to mine okay you're descri- <laughs> Dr. Sue's invited me you know I just have to be mentally ready for this you're almost describing uh, the serenity and tranquility and by the way one of the efforts of Dr. Sue's podcast is to make moms to be and moms who are thinking about becoming moms calm and tranquil and bring a sense of serenity about them for their childbirth but I have to say as you say uh, Kimmy then you'll chime in and say okay I've just heard it. I've heard the patient give consent. It almost... Not not give consent. uh, Not give consent, correct. It almost sounds like a, forgive me, a courtroom atmosphere. It is like going to court without a lawyer. And a baby's being born. Mm -hmm. And that's gross. There's nothing sacred about it. You know, and Brian, also there's... You know, some people will say, well, you know, it's, it's an urgent situation and we just had to do what we had to do. And I will tell you that there is never a situation that is so desperate that you can't take 10 seconds or 20 seconds 
and and give informed consent or ha- or get consent from a client or tell them what they're going to what's going to be happening. It, you know, the idea that we that we there's panic going on all around or something like that, and we're just going to cut this episiotomy or we're just going to put this vacuum on or we're just going to uh, give fundal pressure or we're going to do something without telling the woman to do that. I mean, what we're going to do? That's crazy because there's always time well, to do that. I think that. that's exactly part of the issue is that there's so much fear of litigation. There's so much drive for the doctor to get the baby out alive that it doesn't even matter what he's doing. The woman then just becomes this vessel that he can do whatever he wants to or she can do whatever he, she wants to to get this baby out. And in fairness to the doctor, and it needs to be said, all sides have to be heard. In fairness to the doctor, uh, this is not some mean ogre doctor. It's not as if she or he is going in there to uh, 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 to mete out pain or justice or do things darn it the way I'm going to do it. They're scared to death of what an insurance company might come back with later. And well, fundamentally, they don't trust birth. They don't trust right. the natural are- process of birth. Their entire training is management and prevention of worst case scenarios. And they have never even, most of them even experienced a birth that's unhindered. Yeah, they're not scared so much of, you know, when you say that you use the word scared, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. They're just scared of birth. In general, yeah. Right. It freaks them out. It freaks them out. Why? Did it freak you out? Forgive me, I, I reached, reached over and touched this very sanitary environment. I read the handbook. The <laughs> Give your consent, handbook. Narrow, We're in a narrow space here. It's yeah. acceptable. No, uh, when you were being trained and through the 80s and 90s, when you did it the traditional old-fashioned way, doctors do, uh, were you freaked out, fearful of birth? Would you uh, On a hospital, do you see a schedule? Uh, <laughs> doctors do birth, you know, 9 o'clock Saturday, or you just kind of understand it? When you know in five hours, okay, I'm going to be active in participating in the delivery yeah. Well, I don't know. It doesn't work on a schedule like that, so I'm not exactly sure where you're going with this. The question is this. The schedule is relevant. Throw it out. (laughs) Okay. When you know in five hours you're going to be in a delivery room participating in that process, as a professional with a decade, decade and a half, 20 years experience, did it still, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, freak you out at that point in your adult professional life, in your career? There are situations where I, I can tell you that the adrenaline is flowing. All right, that your heart is pounding and you, you know, that 10 minutes after the, the resolution of the problem, you could be sitting there, your blood pressure could be really high and your pulse is still going high. More than but, any, but in, I, in consultation with your peers, more than any other procedure, like a guy who going in to do brain surgery or heart surgery, do you think he has similar feelings or she has? No, I think, feelings? I think because, bec- no, I think it's, I think that that's much more predictable mm-hmm. environment. Birth is, a, is, is not as predictable and things can change on a dime. Right? Often they change on a dime because people are meddling with stuff. We don't see the dime changing stuff in the home birthing world very often. But I, I would tell you that if you don't get a rise out of, out of birth, either in a good way or even in a scary way, then there's something wrong with you because birth is so marvelously wonderful. But there are times here, even now, I mean, I, I have very, I'm unique, as we know, because I have a lot of confidence in what I'm doing. My, most of my colleagues, and you're right, you said something that they don't mean to be mean and they don't mean to be nasty and stuff like that. There are a few who do, all right? I just want to be sure that there are a few people who are just by nature condescending. But most people don't go to work every morning saying, how can I mess up with, how can I mess with this person or that? But some people actually don't even, they're, they're so self-unaware can I ask that you? they don't even know what they're, they don't even know what they're saying. Like, I, you know, I, I can speak for an example. I have a, a colleague of mine who I've seen some of his clients in second opinions and and when they tell him that he they, that they don't want an epidural when they're in, going into labor, this is prenatally, he he laughs at them and, and you know he la- he does he does snicker and say, well we'll see we'll see when the time comes, we'll blah, blah, blah. yeah we'll see how it goes, and you know he's very dismissive of it, and so 
but I don't even know that this person knows that he is, doing is it. perceived that way because Ma- I, you hear about it, the, the, the word gets out in the community. Yeah. Uh, Emily, I know, has something to say, and then I want to share a thought. And then, and then I want to do here. I want to hear some specific and stories. Then we, and then we want, uh, yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Emily. I'm going to say something real stupid. Hopefully <laughs> it'll be exciting and interesting. Kimmy will say something. And then we'll go back and underscore the theme of this program, obstetrical violence with more examples. Emily, quickly, please, with respect to time. I was just going to say that the obstetrical model very much says birth isn't proven normal until after it's done, until it's proven itself that it's done. Whereas the midwifery model is birth is normal unless it's not. And if there is something going on, you know, then then we we deal with it, but you never get to be treated like a low risk, healthy, normal birth in the hospital. It's a big problem. I know a guy and I know him because I, be, I became, I, the radio is very special to me. I'm on it and I've listened to it my whole life. And, uh, and I heard a guy who I hadn't heard, an old friend who I hadn't heard in years, uh, probably last talked to him 20 years ago. He was a helicopter pilot. I won't give his name. It's not necessary. It's not because he did anything bad. He did something, uh, he did something spectacular. And unfortunately, by today's standards, controversial. He's undergone gender, gender reassignment and the Bruce Jenner and all of this. And he's on the radio over the weekend here in Los Angeles. And I'm hearing him and I'm hearing the voice and it's been affected, I think, by hormones, but it's still enough sounds like him. And then he references some of the things about him when he was him that I knew. So I put together that it's him. He spoke about, and now he's a woman or he's transitioned. Sounds like he's pretty darn close to done. And he talked about a, a concept. She. Sorry. You're right. You're right. <laughs> she talked about a concept uh, that she can best describe as male privilege, that in the world, male privilege exists. Duh. Well, okay, thank you. Most (laughs) males, a lot of males don't get that, but she does, and she had a recent hospitalization. The doctor came in, a male doctor, and started to talk to her about whatever, her symptoms, her treatment, her diagnosis, her long-term plan, whatever, and she said, stop. And he, the doctor, said, excuse me? She said, you are talking down to me. And I know this nice because I wasn't always and then the female name I used to be and then the male name. So you're talking down to me. Mm-hmm. So walk out of that room, walk back in and let's try this again. And I thought, God, I'm use that. I thought, God bless you. I use that all the time. <laughs> and it worked. But you know, that, that male, that, uh, you know, that, that male, uh, yeah. But, well, what, you know, but I, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting a little, my skin's crawling just a little bit, Brian, because Obstetric violence is not limited to male obstetricians. That's true. Of course not. Okay, so of I, just, not. I just want to put that out there. By the way, and there's cardi- this guy's cardiologist. And he's, and he's, no, and, but it's not limited to males, is what I'm saying. Right. Female obstetricians okay. oh, who are, okay. And maybe just, you'll have a story of that. Just as guilty. All right. A little time from and Kimmy. Midwives. A little time from Kimmy. And then oh. some spectacular stories of, stop, of obstetrical violence. Kimmy, what's up here? I know you had something you wanted to say as you're listening to I was this. just going to, I was just going to share some birth stories. Sure. Okay, so um, they range from mild to violent. One of the most violent uh, birth abuse or obstetric abuse that I've seen um, was when a woman was just going to get a vaginal exam. That's it. The doctor just told her, I'm just going to give you a vaginal exam, which means was going to stick his fingers in and see how far her cervix had dilated. Uh Uh-huh. Very common. Very common. So while he's up there, he decides that the cervix is dilated enough to, um, but is there's a little lip left. So 
he's in a rush so he wants to help encourage the cervix to open and without asking her starts to shove the cervix around the side of the baby's head which happens a lot but she did not okay that he didn't even let her know that was going to happen so she just starts feeling excruciating pain not knowing what's happening not knowing what's happening and she's backing up out of the bed he's following her and she's saying no stop what are you doing stop 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 and he goes i'm just helping you i'm just helping you who's in the room at that point there's a third person in the room there's the father the nurse myself and the doctor the four of you together do what if anything, I said, she said, stop. He actually continued to do it after I even said that and said, this baby's going to come right out. Like right now? No. No, no. Like no, he's saying, it, does, it's he's saying come if right he helps, out. it'll be easier and it'll come right. faster. Oh, Basically, because the, he wants to be done sure, faster. Sure. And the facial expression on his face never changes. And he's like looking up to the side of the room, just going along with his business. Do you feel, Kimmy, at that point, you're dealing with almost something that's not human, like a robot? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if that were to take place anywhere else in life, outside and certainly in medicine, of a hospital room, right? Certainly in medicine, too. And well, to, let's, and to look, think can that, we, let's go there for a second that there is nowhere else in culture where if a woman says somebody put an object or a body part in my vagina when I did not give consent, that it wouldn't be called rape. And it'd be a federal case. But in obstetrics, it's done all the time. All the, it, time. all the yeah, time we had we had this discussion uh, uh emily and i had this discussion about the word rape because it seems that that's a very provocative word because i considered i considered rape to sort of be something where where uh you know that it was a more of a sexual behavior but we but kimmy rape is not Kim, a sexual kimmy looked, act pulled up the uh definition off yeah. of the fbi or yeah. off the police blotter and it actually is what she says okay. Un- unwanted touching yeah or uh penetration right well let's uh yeah. let's hear Right now, in the moment or two we have remaining, uh, Emily, I'm coming to you for where we are with this fight for women, for men, for babies in our society on the issue of obstetrical violence. How widely known is the term? How widely known is the definition of the term? What, if anything, is being done legislatively? To prevent, boo, to, pre- piss, boo, to pre- boo, Brian, please, boo. to prevent this type of thing boo. from happening to good people who are being victimized, it sounds, in my opinion, by their providers. We're going to get the government into the delivery room. Give me a break, Brian. You're being, <laughs> you're being sarcastic. No, I'm maybe not. I'll get I, my I, master's in public health guys, and lobby for no, that. No, I'm asking what what the lobbying effort is. This is a very look. If this were my, minimal to none. Okay, and that's unf- then that's tragic. It's tragic. Okay. Not That's only that, but there's my, my, women that actually have gone to... They can't take, get representation. They can't get representation won't take because the, 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 the lawyer says there's no harm just because the mother and the baby are alive. I'm going to tell you something. This is one of these programs, Dr. Stu's podcast number 80. I'm going to give the email address. This is going to be one where we're going to get emails. Here's the email. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to give uh, real specifics. You don't have to name the hospital. If you name the hospital to Dr. Stu in an email and request the hospital not be repeated on the podcast, we absolutely respect any and all caveats that you might add. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com because when I'm hearing you guys talk, my feeling is this happens exponentially more than this conversation would even uh, suggest. Emma, 
family, please. And we just want to make it clear that the bottom line is you have rights as a woman, as a mother, as a human. And if you say no, it needs to be honored and you need to be with people that you trust. So if you get any red flags, you need to go on improvingbirth.org or you need to find the right people, doulas, whatever. Email Dr. Stu and he'll help you find people. Or yep. human like, rights and childbirth. Human rights and childbirth. Both of those websites, say them again so we can put them on the website. Human rights and childbirth. Dot com dot org. Human rights and child. Is that Hermine Hayes Klein? Hermine Hayes Klein. Human rights and child. She's a human rights and childbirth lawyer who started that. Human rights and childbirth dot org. Yes. A a website. Improving birth. Improving birth dot org. Dot org. Yeah. And if it's not dot org, it's dot com. People figure that stuff out. But we want to put this up on the website. This is a topic, obviously, and we have the guests here. You know, we will talk more about it next time. We may very like in podcast eighty one. I think we're gonna continue the conversation because it's we got so much more to go to okay but we're out of time let me we? Re- yeah we are let me remember uh see my memory it's kimmy mcguire that's right you know i only remember that because yeah. of jerry mcguire <laughs> is that okay that i did that whatever it makes it work for you you're wonderful ladies what, what's that tv show with uh the, what's something in mcguire you're um, so old lizzie mcguire uh, lizzie mcguire <laughs> okay like lizzie mcguire emily. that's not old that's not old <laughs> emily benner emily benner right i said two italian girls i forget the jokes i do and dr stewart uh pankin uh, who's an old character actor. Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Remember Stuart Pankin? No. From Not Necessarily the News? No, I what do not. What a great performer. But I know that I know that uh, Stuart the Minion is uh, coming out with a new movie pretty All soon. All right. And, and Thanks for joining us. These ladies <laughs> will come back. We'll talk more about this. cut off on my own podcast. Very sensitive issue of obstetrical violence. This is Dr. Stu's podcast show number 80, available on iTunes. Register. You'll never miss a show. For Dr. Stu, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>